0: Christmas. Lynn mentioned that the readings this week were all about obedience, and obedience is tied not only to Christmas but to each and everything and each and every each and every day that we live. But Christmas especially has a lot to do with obedience because from the From the side that uh, talks about all the traditions and the gift-giving, there's this song that keeps running through my head that says, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout. I'm telling you why, that somebody is watching. And he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be it's all about obeying, obeying. And we, we program our children that if they want to get whatever it is they've asked for for Christmas, that whether they get it or not, it's going to be tied a whole lot to their willingness to obey. Well, that's fine and good because it's grounded in what the real message of Christmas is all about. And that's what we find in God's Word when we look and gaze carefully at the Christmas event, it does bring to mind that if people had not obeyed, what would have been the case? What would have happened if the Christmas event, and you remember the coming of Christ, the advent of Christ is what we're all about here, what we're talking about. When we look at it, at that one singular event, When Jesus came in his birth, and in everything that happened surrounding his birth, what if people involved had not obeyed? There is a passage in the New Testament. It's in the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian church. And it's in the fourth chapter, the fourth verse, and really it's chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 that I want to read for you. Paul says, When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. What that verse says to me is that Jesus was born at just the right moment in time and space. I get that from that little phrase, When the fullness of the time came. That's a direct reference that God waited until the precise moment in His providential viewpoint when the situation in the world, when the environment was just right, when the governments and the people that lived in the world, when everything aligned according to God's providential viewpoint. Jesus was born. Now you look at that and you think, okay, that that sounds very poetic. It sounds very biblical. And of course it is because we just read it right here out of the Bible. But when we say the fullness of time came, that God sent forth his son, and there's this reference to the virgin birth, born of a woman, born under the law. Which meant what? Which meant that the, the Old Testament way of life was still in operation. Jesus would come and he would change that. He would turn it inside out. He would fulfill what the law ultimately meant. And that would affect us, that it would cause us to receive the adoption as sons. a, a very, An incredible phrase to describe God's children. For an adopted child in the first century world, under Roman rule, could never by law be disinherited. Your natural born children, if they disappointed you, you could write them out of the will. But an adopted child was protected throughout life. And so you see, as, as Paul begins to write about the coming of the Christ, he says it happened just at the right moment in time. Now, I go back and look at that, and I think, okay, what points to that? Well, you had the Roman Empire that ruled over the known world. The Roman Empire had built a series of roads. They had a grid, if you will. And they had a system of travel that, of course, pales in comparison to how we travel and how we get across from point A to point B, how we get from one continent to the other in just a matter of hours. No, it couldn't compare to that. But Jesus was born at a time when travel was was made possible. When Paul, the apostle, when missionaries, the first century church, when they could go out and they could, they could go from one place to the other. It was all because the Roman Empire had built that Roman system. The empire right before the Roman empire is the Greek culture. Alexander the Great, maybe you've heard his name. What did that man who died way too early in his early thirties, a man who really had no God consciousness at all that we can tell, but what he did have is he had a language that permeated the entire, the entire known world. And even though the Roman Empire brought with it its Latin language, and it would become pervasive all across the known world, it was at the time of the birth of Jesus that the Greek language was universal. And so you begin to see that it wasn't just that God picked a date and a time and a place out of the air, but that from the perspective of God, the perspective of spiritual things, Jesus was born at the right moment, at the right time, so that we, 2,000 years removed from those events, give or take a, a few years, we could know all that we need to know to be reconciled with the God who created us, to receive the blessing that Jesus brought to the world. But all of that happened because the people involved, we're obedient. Consider the following. Joseph's obedience. It's found in Matthew 1, 18 through 24. Listen to what God's Word says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And the prophet said, this is from Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife. Folks, Joseph obeyed. Now the question is, what if Joseph had refused to accept Mary? Now, in all those verses we read, just... To cut right to the chase. Not that the rider is beating around the bush, but he's talking in terms that may sound a little strange to us. But the bottom line is, Joseph and Mary were intended to marry, and Joseph had proposed to marry. But before that marriage could be finalized and could be seen in society as being legal and correct, Mary found herself to be with child. And we know that the miracle of the birth of Jesus found in the conception by the Holy Spirit taught all the way through Scripture. And all that that means, let's just put that aside for the moment and just say it like this. That God was behind Mary's expecting a child. That it was a child conceived not of a human man and woman, but of the Holy Spirit to the Virgin Mary. But when all of this came to light to Joseph, he saw that he only had one option available to him, and that was to separate himself, to save face. Indeed, he probably felt some feelings of indignation and and anger and betrayal, jealousy, whatever the case may be. Any normal person would. But when Joseph, in a dream, responded to God's message to him, to not be afraid to take Mary as his wife. Because the child that was within her was not the result of an immoral choice or poor judgment. It was not the, the result of a betrayal. But it was part of when the fullness of time came, Jesus was born of a woman born under the law, that Joseph had an opportunity to be a part of God's ultimate plan for salvation. And the Bible says, Joseph obeyed. What if he hadn't? What would have happened? Well, you can paint it any way you want to. You can conjecture, you can... Uh, forecast, you can do a little role play, you can armchair quarterback the situation all you want to. But it would have been an upsetting set of circumstances if Joseph had not obeyed. The fact that he swallowed his pride and went along with the fact that Mary was expecting his child allowed her to save face, allowed the community to focus on, with anticipation, the birth of a new life. And it simply reminds me that in our day and time, how many times are we called to obey? You could probably lift your hand and say, well, at any given day, I am given the opportunity to obey God and Several different ways. You might be able to go back and trace some things in your life and some situations in your own past, in your own life, where you faced a difficult decision and after understanding that you wanted to do this, but after prayer and counsel and perhaps reading God's Word, you became convicted that God was asking you to follow through with whatever was going on and to obey. And many times that probably could have been in a tough situation. You know, it's easy to obey when it makes you look good. It's easy to obey when it doesn't cost you anything. It's easy to obey when everything's lined up to make you the hero by the choice you make. But there are times, my friends, when living the Christ life, when following the Lord Jesus, when obedience will come with a high cost. When obedience will be inconvenient. When the choice that you know needs to be made is a hard choice. But it's the choice that when made and when we follow through with obedience becomes part of the fullness of the time in which we live. Well, look at Joseph's continued obedience. I mean, he was asked to pay a pretty stiff price here. He was asked to step out and do something that went totally against sociology, totally against good manners, totally against what you would expect. I mean, he had every right to turn away and to put Mary aside, but he didn't. But that isn't where Joseph's obedience stopped. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It's talking about those kings, three of them. Though the Bible does not specify there were three, we just simply think there were three because they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They're called magi, which is a very fancy term for a very learned, scholarly, wise, well-traveled individual. But after they left... It says, when they had gone, and they refers to the magi, those kings, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, while it was still night, and left for Egypt. What if Joseph concluded he was too tired to run? Once again, you could easily think from Joseph's point of view, Okay, Lord, you already asked me to obey in a very sensitive issue, and I did. But isn't that obedience enough to ask of one person? Isn't that obedience Enough to consider that you'd pass along something else for someone else to do. But yet in a dream, imagine Joseph got tired of falling asleep because he never knew what was going to happen when he slipped into that REM sleep where most of us believe that we actually do dream. But this was a godly vision, a godly dream. And a command for Joseph to take Mary and take the child and to flee to Egypt, which was quite a distance in that day and time. And yet he obeyed. But what if he didn't? Once again, what if he had chosen to stay in the comfort of the land that he knew so well? Well, once again, we can conjecture, we can pretend We can draw all kinds of scenarios and come up with all kinds of situations. And we could take a vote and determine which one is the most logical, which one makes the least amount of sense. And yet we're drawn to the simple conclusion that even though we can read into the lines or read between the lines and see where Joseph may have wondered, "Is is this not asking too much or what in the world am I going to do? I mean, I have no means of support. I, I have no family. There's no base of operations when I cross the border into Egypt. All I know is it's going to be more of the unknown. But he obeyed. But you see, Joseph isn't the only one who was called to obey for the fullness of the time to issue forth in. The birth of the Son, the Son of God. It talks about those wise men, those magi. Because right before that 13th verse that we just read, it concludes the visit of the magi. And it says, having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the magi left for their own country by another way see, Matthew uses all this space to talk about the, the travels of these kings. I mean, it's a big, long section. But we find he ends it. His concluding remarks where the Magi are written off the pages of Scripture from that point on. We never hear from them again. But what we finally hear about them, what last of all we take to be the truth about them, is that God warned them not to go home by the way they had promised. And what did they promise to do? They had promised to go back and report to Herod the Great, the despotic, insane, unbelievably cruel king who sought to alleviate the threat of an up-and-coming child who would take his place. That's how he read into the events of the birth of Jesus. But these kings went home by another way. But what's most important is they obeyed. They could have counted the cost. If we don't do what the king of the Jews, Herod the Great, tells us to do, He could send a legion of soldiers to track us down. He could do anything he wants to to us. We managed through deceit and playing the game of trying to pretend that everything was on the up and up. We managed to get out of his presence without losing anything. But it was on the promise that we would come back to him and report the whereabouts, the longitude and latitude, exact place where this child was. But yet they obeyed when God appealed to them in a dream to go home by another way. You ever found that to be true in your experience? That once again, just like Joseph's two instances here of obedience, we find with these kings that what they felt was going to be the path, what they felt was going to be the right thing to do, turned out not to be. And what they thought they were going to end up experiencing was far different. And because of that change, because of their reverence and worship of this child, they took a different route in life. Bottom line, they obeyed. But there's one more I want you to give attention to. This situation... Is out of sequence. But oh, it's part of the fulfillment of Galatians 4 4. When the Bible says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. There are certain things, certain people that had to obey long before Jesus was ever put in that cradle, in that manger, in that stable in Bethlehem. It's a story of a man named Job. He's found in the Old Testament. It's a very long story, 42 chapters. Most of it is poetry. Most of us have a hard time making sense out of poetry if it's longer than this. But the book of Job unveils some amazing things about obedience. It's over in the 19th chapter of Job, verses 25 and 26, and the context of that is, in those first 18 chapters up to 1924, Job has gained everything and then lost everything. He has lost his family. He's lost all of his belongings. A man who was highly reverenced and his reputation was sterling, he had all of the wealth that you could possibly imagine, it was all gone. And not only were all of his possessions taken and all of his family were destroyed, but he himself was afflicted with some skin disease, leprosy or some type of rash that caused him in that 19th chapter to find himself sitting on a pile of trash. And he had found in that trash a piece of broken pottery, broken glass, we would say. And he was sitting on that ash heap, if you will, that trash mound. And he was just using that piece of glass to shred his own skin to alleviate the pain. It seems that the pain of cutting oneself was less than the actual pain of the sores themselves. And he has these friends, three of them, that had made several visits and you would think that these three friends would be a comfort to Job. But instead, they all three, if you remember, just pointed a finger and said, Job, what did you do wrong? What sin did you commit to get all this piled upon you? Because you see, in that day and time, if anything bad happened to you, it was God's judgment upon you. Hmm, seems like it's pretty prevalent today too. But what's Job's answer. Job looked at his friends and he said in chapter 19, verse 25, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, I shall see God. Those words speak for themselves, but... Follow me with a little bit of grammar here for just a moment. As for me, I know. That's a very special word in the Hebrew language. That's what the Old Testament's written in. And that word for know is to know by experience. It's not just knowledge up here, it's not just intellect, it's not just being able to memorize certain precepts or verses. It's not just knowing that you need to be doing certain things in the spiritual realm to please God. There is that kind of knowledge. And I'm not berating it, but for the simple fact that when he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, Job is saying, I know because I know by experience. I know because it's relationship. Now, do you think Job was talking about when all the stocks were paying big dividends in his life? Is that what he was saying, I know? Was he just saying it about he knows his Redeemer because he had a beautiful wife and children and they had spouses and he had grandchildren and everything was fine and his house was beautiful? He says, I know sitting on this pile of trash, scraping sores on my skin with a piece of broken pottery, I know that my Redeemer lives. The word Redeemer, literally, kinsman, same descriptive. Term used for that man named Boaz in the story of Ruth, who was called the kinsman redeemer. Same idea, same words that were applied to Jesus. And when we think of all of those lofty religious terms that talk about what Jesus did for us, Savior, Lord, the most important one, Redeemer. Kinsman, family member, redeemer. And see, Job says, I know by experience right now. Yes, I knew it when things were good, but I know it in the face of accusations of friends who should be praying for me and encouraging me. I know it when they try to get me to admit the sin that's caused all this. I know that my Redeemer lives and one day upon this earth again shall stand. Now, did did Job mean he thought he was going to see his Redeemer in the flesh right then and there? Some people would say yes. I'm not sure about that. But he knew that God's Redeemer would take his stand upon this earth. And my goodness, Galatians 4, 4 tells us that in the fullness of time, Jesus took his stand upon this earth. Now... What if Job had cursed God and died? And the reason I say that is because over in chapter 2, verse 12, his own wife told him to do just that. Before all the family was taken, his wife had had enough of whatever this work of God was in their life, when they had lost all of their retirement, when they had lost all of their possessions, when everything had seemed to be turned upside down and their family was falling apart, she looked at her husband and she said, why don't you save your integrity? That's what the Old Testament says. Curse God and die. Job could have easily done that. There's some of us that walk right up to that precipice. Easily. Do the same. But Job obeyed. He didn't curse God and die. So what's the bottom line? Luke one thirty-seven. This is when the angel is talking to Mary about what's about to happen to her on the inside. He says, nothing will be impossible with God. Now, see, the whole point is, if Joseph had disobeyed, if the wise men had disobeyed, Job had disobeyed, Christmas would have still happened. Don't ever kid yourself. God has a plan, yes, but when he depends upon us, if we disobey and we say no. His ultimate plan is going to be worked out. Jesus would have found his way to this earth. We don't know how that would have happened. God would have taken care of it. We know that much. That much is for sure. But the problem or the issue is, do we want to miss out on being part of God's plan? Do we want to miss out? No. We want to, we want to be here and Pray for God's kingdom to come. We want to be here and look at continents on this earth where we have missionaries and we want to hear from them and we want to connect with them. We want those relationships to grow. We want to be a part of God's plan. And that's why God has given to us the opportunity to obey. When the fullness of time came, Jesus was born. And we're blessed to be a part of it. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here, call upon your name, to pray, to know that you love us, to know that you're at work. It's in Christ's name we offer our prayer. Amen. We wrap up this hour as we always do. We call it a time of commitment, a hymn of invitation. Not every church does it this way, but we do because... My view is simply this. that When God speaks, we are given an opportunity to respond. And that time of response for us is now. Every time we gather, every time we are here, we should have an opportunity to make a choice. So we're going to have ministers and, st- and ministers, deacons standing down here to receive any who we come. I know it looks a little daunting, but this orchestra stuff it won't bite you. And there's an aisle here, there's an aisle on the side. Just use those and there'll be ministers there to greet you. But it could be that there's someone here today, you've never said yes to Jesus. He's not your Lord and Savior. You can obey. You can receive him into your life. It's a spiritual choice. We wait for you to come as God leads. Maybe you're here and you know the Lord, just never told anyone, never professed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We invite you to do that today because it's a step of obedience. Maybe you need a church to call your own and you feel God is leading you to join our church. We're not the only church around here. Great churches all around. Find where it is God wants to lead you and plug in. Had a gentleman stop me right out here about an hour ago. He came in and he came back to me and he said, Stephen, he said, I got up this morning and realized for the first time in my life, I belong to a church family. I said, that's good because that's what we're supposed to be. So if that's what you want for your life, if God's leading you, how do you join a church like ours? You come forward. And then, to obey or not to obey, that's the question? Yes, it is. So maybe right there where you are, a public decision is not what you're going to make today. It doesn't mean you are not have a good choice. Because you can walk out of here committed to obedience or you can walk out of here the way you came in disobedient and wondering where you're going to turn next. doesn't have to be that way. Make your choice and make it now. That's our invitation. We stand together as we sing. We wait for you in the front. Won't you step out right now?